Welcome to the Otherwise Podcast, Season 3. I'm your host, Casey Tigert. I'm an author, pastor, and spiritual director. I'm coming to you from my car with this intro because we are in the middle of a crisis, a COVID-19 crisis, which means in my home state of Illinois, uh, we are all in stay at home, which means everybody's in the house. And so it's hard to find a quiet spot, which is okay. It's good to be home with my people. But uh, that's, you got to find a quiet spot wherever you can find one in times like these. So in times like these, uh, what I know is that we are all building stories. We're all building memories of this moment in time. And when you meet somebody new, a lot of times the first thing you ask them is, um, what's your story? We have a variation of saying that that's not so creepy, but we ask the question, what's your story? And so for you, I wonder, how would you answer that question? What's the story that defines you? Not your life story, but is there a moment in time that you would point to and say, this, if you want to know who I am, this is me. Those kind of stories can be incredibly inspiring. And our guest today, Leslie Leland Fields, is all about helping people create and cultivate and write those stories. She runs a writing workshop in Alaska that she's going to talk a bit about, but her newest book came out just this week called Your Story Matters. And in this episode, we're going to talk a bit about your story, our stories, why it matters, why we need to collect it and creatively express it, and also how that might give value and hope and faith and encouragement to the world. So I can't wait for you to hear the things that she has to say. So let's get to this conversation with my friend, Leslie Leland Fields. Leslie, it's beautiful to have you on the show. Thank you for taking time to talk. Oh, I'm I'm just really glad to be here, Casey. I'm curious where you're, where are you calling from? Because I know, I know some of your story and your location, but where, where are you at today as we're talking? Yeah, I'm home in Kodiak and I'm sitting over a cliff and the ocean is beating the the um the bottom of the cliff and it's raining and snowing and uh, we got 3 feet of snow, 3 3 feet of snow here the last week and it's been pretty crazy. Gosh, and see I live in Chicago and complain about the weather and we don't have 3 feet of snow. So it just goes to show there's always somebody who could be like, yeah, well, let me tell you about our weather. <laughs> there's always someone who has it worse. That's why I really don't want people to feel sorry for me here in Kodiak because I think of people up in Barrow, you know, at the top of the world or people, you know, in Fairbanks who have, you know, two hours of light um, a day in the winter. So I always feel stupid um, and selfish complaining about six hours of light, you know, in the winter. <laughs> I could see that. It's interesting too, as you describe place. Um, the, when you when I read your descriptions of where you live and hear you talking about the weather, my first thought is, gosh, is there a better place to be as someone who is deeply involved and passionate and talented in the craft of writing? It's such a place with a story and an environment. Yeah. It just seems to like pull those things out of a person. 
It really does. It really does. And I, I am, um, I am so grateful to live here and all the hard things about it are also kind of the best things about it. So just as you say, it makes you, it makes you dig deep and um, it's, you know, it's eight o'clock, it's eight fifteen in the morning now, and it's just absolute darkness. It won't be light until about nine 30. Um, and this is, I mean, do I love this in some way? I do, um, because it, I really have to wrestle with, um, with, with who I am and wrestle with my feelings and wrestle with a bit of, you know, seasonal depression. And it makes you, um, it just forces you to, I think, think more and pray more and um, <laughs> figure out you know, what is this place and how can I, how can I find joy? How can I find contentment, you know, in something that's difficult? And there is the, uh, the biblical metaphors come to mind of darkness and light and how they are so instrumental in the art of creating, the act of creating. And so the daylight and the night and how those two things are woven together into this great drama of creation. And then you, add us to the mix who are writing and making things and we're a part of that but it affects us it shifts our attention it it causes us to dig deeper like you said or to have to examine our inner world for things like depression or identity yeah. or, or things like that yeah. what, what is it that drove i knew i know the answer of course i know the answer to these things i did the research but people who are listening don't uh what is it that brought you to kodiak Oh, it's that old, old story, Casey, of girl goes to college, girl meets boy in college. Boy is from Alaska, which girl thinks is really cool. <laughs> girl and boy get married and go back to boy's home, which is Kodiak. So my husband born and raised here in Kodiak, and um, I grew up on the East Coast, so going far away was kind of was part of the attraction and and um i knew it was just a raw wild beautiful place and i was looking for that too looking for a many people who come to alaska it's sort of an escape and um it it feels like a chance to kind of recreate um your life and your identity and yeah that's um that it's a common story for Alaskans. There's a richness to 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 being able to point yourself in different places and how you got to where you are, and and there's so much you I, there's so much I've I've moved quite a bit in my life too, and from different places. So from Southern West Virginia, which is a very different culture, to Illinois, and then and then the difference between Central Illinois and Chicago, which are could be you know a lot of people think it's two different states. There's some learning that goes into that. There's some understanding of reality. And so the, the heart of the podcast is about wisdom. And I've, I'm really excited to hear what this is for you. But if, if you had to define the word wisdom, where would you start? What would be the starting point for that definition? You know, for me, I think wisdom is a lot about listening and uh, we, we know that we live in a really noisy, noisy culture and um, social media and internet and everybody is, everybody's proclaiming, everybody is 
um, sort of shouting and, and, and talking and everybody has a platform and there are really good things about it. But the bad thing about it is that everyone is, everyone is talking and there's kind of this expectation now, now that, now that we all have a platform, we are required to use it and whatever the, whatever the social issue is, the political issue, the religious issue, if you're not speaking to it, then you are complicit in the, um, in the, in the crime, in the sin. And so, you know, everyone's, everyone's proclaiming and nobody's listening. So I, um, it has to do for me, wisdom has to do with being quiet and, and for me, it's mostly being quiet outside um, in nature. And I am really, really blessed to live in a, in a place that, that is wild. And there aren't many people here. And I live over the ocean. And it's about listening to the waves and watching the bald eagles. And um, it's about being open and receptive. And, I, and that might sound really simplistic, but here's the thing. As we get older, and I've been around for quite a while, um, you know, there's this, there's this temptation to think that we're automatically wiser because we're older. You know, I have lots of experiences in life. I've raised six kids. I've traveled a lot around the world. I've written some books. And it's really easy to think, oh, gee, I, I know a lot. <laughs> I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write out of, you know, everything that I know. And, and there's an entitlement that sort of comes with our age. Um, and I don't want that. I don't want that entitlement. I don't want that sense. I want to, I, I really want to be humble. And I think humility is a really important part of wisdom that we're not going to receive wisdom. We're not going to find it without kind of emptying ourselves and without being, without being humble. And, and I tell you, Casey, one thing that humbles me is sitting before that blank page. That is such an act of humbling and almost humiliation to face that blank page. And what do I have to say? What am I, what do, what do I think about this? Yeah. So those are all, those are a lot of threads and pieces. Um, but um, that's kind of how I'm understanding wisdom right now. Yeah. The listening, the attending to the, um, sort of the acknowledgement of ignorance. There's a, a quote I read recently by Evagrius Ponticus. Gosh, man, we just don't do names as well these days. <laughs> wow. Evagrius <laughs> Ponticus. Uh, and the quote was, blessed are those who have arrived at infinite ignorance. Wow. How can he, I mean, that is fantastic. But then how does he have this name Ponticus? Because that's, you know, pontificate. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's funny that sometimes I, I feel like sometimes the license to be able to speak well on things is to know that you don't speak well on everything. And that, that mm. humility is so important. I'm, I love that you brought that up. And especially as it pertains to writing, um, because writing is one of those things that I feel like now is coming into this and maybe it has always been this way, but it's come into this sort of level of chic almost, where to say that you're a writer 
externally sounds like I'm an influencer, mm. but the work mm. is so, once you get exposed to the real work of it, the, there's a grittiness and there's a difficulty and there's a, a self doubt and a, and an inner struggle that's involved in it that I think most people go, Oh, you're a writer. And then if you actually do it, you go, Oh my gosh, this is, this is really difficult. I, I wonder for you, when, when did the moment come that you were able to say with, with an acknowledgement of what it is able to say, I am a writer. It, it did take a really long time. I'm going to say, probably not to my fourth or fifth book um, wow. because I still had ideas about what a writer was and I assumed, um, yeah, some kind of confidence, some kind of no know- special knowingness. And, um, and I knew that other people perceived that. So it took me a long time to step into it and then, and then to be open and redefining it. Um, for people and letting people in on the secret that the writing is just like gut work. It, it is, it's like being, you know, having surgery performed on you. And there's so many metaphors that come to mind, you know, you're wrestling with an angel of God and, and after every book, after every week, after every chapter, your, um, your limp is, you know, even more pronounced. Um, so when, when, in my, when I speak about writing and when I write about writing, I, uh, I always want to be sure and let people in on what this really feels like. It's good because I, I think there's the feeling like a book and I, I love having conversations with people now that I've written a few things and they're like, so how, so what's the process like? And you talk about the whole process of writing for publication and you get to the end and they look at you and they go, oh my gosh, I thought it just happened. Just feels like the book gets written and then it's automatic. And when you tell them this period that really takes a couple of years, the formal part, not to mention all the background and living and things like that, uh, it does feel a bit like pulling back the curtain on the wizard. Oh, that's what's been going on this whole time. That's that's what's been wrong with you this last year. <laughs> uh, that's why you go from periods of melancholy to periods of joy, like uh, within the hour. Ah, gotcha. Oh, so true. So true. And it is about that. And again, that that receptivity and some some of writing and a lot of people have talked about this. It's a pretty universal experience, but. Uh, but it's so mysterious, really, this process. I mean, there's this, you know, the gut work, but then also there are these moments of givenness when, when something feels so given um, and, and you're not always sure where it comes from. I, I think some of the time, you know, it comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from, uh, you know, something that's definitely external to you. And, and then there's a sense of just such such gratitude uh, because it it feels beyond you yeah i love what you say we're talking uh, the book we're talking about today is a book called your story matters that you've recently written about about writing but my first contact with you as uh as a writer actually came in a book that you edited which was called the spirit of food 
And mm. I, I just loved it. And it, it had this sort of, I love the books that bring together big pieces mm-hmm. and suddenly you become aware of something. And you say in your story matters, you talk about, we write to find out what we don't yet know. How has that happened for you? Is there a specific place in which you recognize, like, if I hadn't written that, I wouldn't know what was deep beneath that idea or thought or situation? Yeah, I want to say, I want to say every one of my books, every one of them. All of them, really, just all of them. All of them, all of them. And that's, and that's honestly the truth because every book is started with a question and it's not just a question like, Oh, I wonder about this. It's a question that means that usually means life and death to me. Um, And so for instance, my memoir surviving the Island of grace um, takes the reader through my first 15 to 20 years out at fish camp, which is a remote Island where my family works in commercial fishing. So we work out in the ocean in storms and little boats. And, and I was a part of that. And the question is not, it wasn't just, Oh, I want to, you know, I want to create a window that people can see into this world. The question was, am I going to survive and how will I survive and who am I out here? And do I really belong here? So writing that book, that book, I spent eight years on that book um, because those are really big questions. <laughs> um, and the food book, um, this was right at the start. It came out in 2010. So it was right kind of at the start of the, the food movement. But I, I looked around and I saw that Christians were not involved in this. And I thought, we, we're missing such a huge element of of food and the spirituality of food if we don't if we don't step into this and i had grown up on blackstrap molasses and um whole wheat flour so it it, food had been a passion um, my my whole life and so the question for me was what do what do christians have to say about this my parenting book, okay, I see I see how I could go on forever. This is the last example I'm going to give. My parenting book, which is um, gets at the nine most dangerous myths of parenting. I wrote that book literally to save my six, the lives of my six children and to save my life as a parent because I, what I was hearing about parenting, you know, Christian parenting, the stuff I was hearing in sermons and on Christian radio, I just thought, no, this is, this is wrong. This is not right. God's word has so much more to say about parenting. So deconstructing all of those really kind of Pollyannish um, models and, and, and humanly constructed notions of what Christian parenting was about um, that, that truly saved my, my, my family's life. So yeah, it's, yeah, every one of them. With the, with having taken on this, the recognition that anyone who looks at themselves and says, I, I think I might be a writer, which I love that way of saying it. Like, I think I, I'm an aspiring writer because we're always aspiring to something. Mm-hmm. The, there is also, there's the moment where, like you said about the parenting book, where you, you actually did it not to say, I want to tell the world how to parent, but I need to write my way into some healing and mm-hmm. help here. Um, 
I know there are people listening who would say, I want some of the things that you're talking about, but I wouldn't draw onto myself the the designation as a writer. Mm-hmm. How do how do you see writing guiding people who may not be this the kind of person who has a gift, or may think they have a gift to write into this discussion about how do you create into your own healing? Because I'm sure it's true of other disciplines and yeah, and especially other forms of art, right? There is this, um, there is this kind of um, healing, and I hate to use the word, but therapy that that comes from working out on the page or working out, you know, through music or or through art, you know, giving expression, um, daring to make our emotions and our experience visible outside of ourselves and i casey i really i really believe that everybody can write um i I do because i've been teaching writing for um about 30 years now and people come into my classroom people would come into my workshops and they'd say i have never written before but i really like words and i want to see where this will take me and, and then we begin, you know, and that's what Your Story Matters is about. It's a way of inviting everybody in to this new, this new adventure, really, um, to see what's going to happen when we start playing with words on the page. And, and you don't have to, a lot of people think, I just, you know, talked about healing and trauma. You don't have to have had a traumatic life or, you know, really hard experiences to, to have amazing content uh to draw from and so you know this is this is kind of a a cheap answer to your question but that's what the book is for is to kind of guide people step by step and not only give them permission um but give them ways and means of enjoying um a process The big, there's a big difference between writing for publication and writing because you need to write this. So some people may not ever write a book, but they might just need to take a situation in their life, whether it's traumatic or not, and just work through it with words. How do you encourage people to step into that distinction between writing a book that the world sees and just, I need to write this right now, and that may be where it stops? Yeah, I think everyone, even someone who has a sense of, I want to write a book, I want my story to go out into the world. I think first, there's this long period of exploration when you're writing for yourself. um, And you're writing, it's kind of, you know, it's that metaphor of, actually, there are two metaphors that I use throughout Your Story Matters. One is um, when Elijah is standing in the Valley of Dry Bones and, uh, and, and God instructs him to, you know, speak to the bones, 
so that they'll come back to life. So they'll join, you know, joint to bone to tendon. And so they'll be raised up on their feet as a, you know, as a vast army. And I think that's, that's, every one of us is called to that valley of bones. And that's our, that's our past. We're standing among um, our past and there's so much beauty there and so much goodness and so much truth and understanding and wisdom to be found um, in, in all of those bones. So I think the first, I just encourage people first start writing, looking for understanding, looking for wisdom, looking for truth and, and see what happens and, and write for a while. And um, rather than if we start off saying, Oh, I have something to say to the world and and, and so you start trying to write with this mantle of, you know, I've got it, I know it, I want to proclaim to the world this truth. I, I'm telling you, it's going to be a really, it's going to be really difficult. And I think you're going to shut yourself off from deeper truth and deeper wisdom that can be found simply through that excavation process when you're you're not thinking about sending it out right now you're just going as deeply as you can to find out what is true yeah. and at some point and at some point casey i think when you know when you're when you've come through this period of excavation you look at what you've got and you realize wow this is important and i think this could go out into the world and meet some needs and help some people and that's the point at which you say, okay, now I'm going to try to gather, I'm going to gather all of this and, and write a book that, that's going to go out and help some people. Um, so it's important to do it in stages. I feel like one of the big gifts of, and there are many, of your, the book Your Story Matters that you've written is that the way that you weave together three different things. So there is very practical uh, well, first of all, there's excellent writing, um, so that's sort of the over the umbrella. But underneath the umbrella, there's very practical insights on how you go about unearthing and excavating. There's examples from your own life and the memoir that you're the story of the memoir that you're writing, and then there's also uh, interactions with writing groups that come out to to learn from you. H- how do you invite someone? What are some of the first steps a person takes if they said, I feel like I have a story I want to tell and I've done a little bit of excavation. What are some of the like very simple practical things that you invite them to do to get, to get things moving, to get that story coming out into the light? Yeah, I think um, one of the first things to do is just to start making some kind of, um, it can be a timeline, it can be a map, it can be, but a way of kind of stepping back and graphing um, whatever this particular experience is that you want to write about. And maybe it's a, you know, a period of time in your life. Um, Maybe it's your growing up years from, from 10 to 20 when you, you know, move from the city into, into the desert. Maybe it's, um, when your daughter um, was diagnosed with cancer and your cancer journey with her, you know, whatever that event or experience is, first, I think taking a long step, taking a step back and start just kind of jotting down um, some memories, some moments, some scenes that come to mind, 
um, and a first kind of surveying. It's kind of a survey of of this this event and a lot of people it helps to do that chronologically because there's usually something of a cause and effect um process going on and and chronology helps us kind of walk back and walk forward through the events that transpired and then those things that are kind of mapped out i would encourage people to then just kind of write into excavate into each one of those turning point moments and and write into them not um not just cerebrally not just intellectually okay here's what happened um, because we can be just so focused on the events that we miss the the inner story we can be so focused on the outer story that we miss that inner story um, so that's really important for people to recognize that there is always this outer story. Here's what happened. Here's the time and place. Here are the details. Here are the concrete details of what happened. And those things matter. Those things really matter. You know, the concrete material details of our lives matter. But then out from that outer story, then that we sort of plunge down inside to try to figure out what did that feel like? How was I, what, what was I thinking at the time? How did I truly experience that? And what did that mean? So that, that piece of, of meaning, of significance, of making meaning out of those events. And a lot of times we are, we're able to recall those outer details. And then that becomes a launch pad, I think, for us to try to dig down underneath and to make some meaning, to discover some meaning, discover some truth um, from inside of those events. And what really surprises people, I, I see this all the time, and I sort of give them some tools to, to excavate freely um, inside of those events, is this, there's always this surprise. I would call it a divine surprise, the way God shows up in our seeking, in our listening, in our wrestling on the page and I've never had somebody emerge from this kind of writing without some kind of new insight without some kind of of new idea um, so that that's a lot I just no, I just yeah. dumped a lot I hope that's helpful oh it's great and it and it is so much in line with as people are listening to this and and if there's a salivation that's sort of building in there uh, that that is the structure that your book follows is walking people through that process of bringing their story to light. Uh, for you, you you're very um, transparent about the memoir that you were writing. Where is the stuck point in this process for most people? Where where is the point where you know? Yes, I started to excavate and I'm starting to pay attention and see the deeper story, not just the events, but what was going on, the inner story. Where is the stuck point typically for people in in writing out their stories? That is such a great question, Casey. There, there are a bunch of them. <laughs> let, me just, let me just give two, two stuck points because these, I mean, these happen to me too all the time. It doesn't matter how many, how many books I've, I've written. One stuck point is, is like, who am I to write this? Haven't a thousand people already written 
this, you know, I mean, it's the Ecclesiastes, right? There's nothing new under the sun. Like, what do I have to contribute to this subject, whether it's parenting or, you know, a, a memoir of wrestling with identity and place. And, um, and every time I walk into a Barnes and Noble, right, where there are literally a million books sitting on the shelves in that one particular store, I think, does the world really need to hear from me? Hasn't it all been said already? And I'm gonna I'm gonna read this quote because I come back to this all the time, and I and I hope that it will help help your listeners. So this is a quote from Madeline Longo, and she addresses this head on. She says, "My husband is my most ruthless critic. Sometimes he'll say, it 'It's been said better before.'" Well, of course it has. It's all been said better before. If I thought I had to say it better than anybody else, I'd never start. Better or worse is immaterial. The thing is, it has to be said by me ontologically. We each have to say it, to say it our own way. Not of our own will, but as it comes out through us. Good or bad, great or little, that isn't what human creation is about. It is that we have to try to put it down in pigment or words or musical notes or we die. And her words give, have given me permission <laughs> over and over um, and, and have given all of us permission. It's so true. It doesn't matter if other people have said it. I need to say it. And I need to be brought to whatever truths and insight that, that I need to come to. Or I, I will die. A part of me will die. It's interesting to pair that together. I'm just collecting this thought here because it's so interesting how you phrase that and, and using that quote. You write in another place in the book, you talk about how writing is a form of attention, a form of prayer, a form of listening to God. And writing is a way of doing that, but there's also this response in there. You can hear it in Madeline's voice. I have to do this. And so as with anything, whether it's writing or whatever we create or even the way we parent or the way that we work or the way we manage our relationships, our marriages, there's always the, the call and the response. There's the action, but there's also the cost. Mm-hmm. And so in the book, you, you walk through the people in the groups that you talk about have all, a lot of them have said things that are deeply painful, not only for them to bring up, but also for sometimes for family members and things like that. How do we navigate the cost of telling our stories honestly, knowing that they're, I mean, acknowledging that there is actually one to pay attention to? Yeah, and that's, you know, your previous question about what are the stuck points. So I think that's another really huge stuck point is that that shuts us down even at the very first stages is how can I, you know, how can I write what's true? Um, what about my family? What about my, my children? What about my spouse? What about my parents, um, my friends? Especially when you have something that's, you know, that's, that's difficult um, to talk about and, and to enter into. And truly, this has been a huge question and issue for me as well, um, as every other, every other memoirist. And, you know, in the, in the book, I've, I've kind of tried to distill sort of six points of, of, um, of my, my 
own experience, sort of six keys to writing into hard places and difficult people. And, and I'm, I don't, I don't want to read those six things um, right now. But I, I think my earlier answer about writing in stages, I think, f- first of all, that's really important. And when you first start writing, you have to turn off all those voices and all those worries. You know, what is my husband going to say? What is my father going to say? You turn off that vo- those, those voices, those censoring voices, and you simply try to write into um, what happened, what is true, be true to the experience, as true and honest um, as, as you can be. So write freely and write to, um, to, to find wisdom, to find understanding. And it's in that second stage when we think, you know, I think maybe there's something here that could go out and that could help people. And, and that's when we start taking this account, you know, there's this accounting. Um, how do I present this person? How do I present this relationship? Um, and, and how will they respond? Um, so the, the bad news is <laughs> you really don't know how people are going to respond to what you've written. Um, I just want to, I could say personally that that memoir that I spent eight years writing, I literally fasted and prayed over those words and over the characterization of um, some relationships. And at the end of those um, eight years of, of writing and, and really seeking wisdom and, and trying to write as compassionately as I, as I, I could, um, there still was an unforeseen response and really, really difficult response. Um, there was a, a member of my family who just basically cut me off for three years and didn't, you know, we didn't speak um, at all because of what I'd written, even though what I had written was um, very, very slight and, and, and true and kind. So I say that to say, I, I guess it's, I, I want to be honest. I, I, I really, as we're talking about writing, you know, you have to be honest that there can be a cost um, to writing from your life. And I have experienced some, um, some really high costs, but at the end of the day, um, I would do it all again um, because God has brought such fruit and such goodness, and um, there there has been there has been forgiveness and reconciliation. There are really good things that have happened in my family um, because of the writing, but there also have been some really hard things. So it is a it is a cautionary tale, um, Casey. And I think there are ways to proceed, but the most important thing for people to hear right now is that first you write your story for you. You write your story for, um, for healing, for understanding, for wisdom. And I think you'll be amazed at what, at what comes, at what God really delivers um, through your hands and through the words that show up on the page. So start there, and you can think about the other things later. Um, that that's something to worry about later. For right now, just just start. So the cost is there. Um, I would I would be remiss not to ask. Then, what do you believe the fruit is 
I mean, every everything we do has a cost, but there is also fruit. For you, as you guide writers and as you yourself write, what is the fruit that you expect to see out of out of what it is that you're writing? I've seen in my own life, in so many people's lives, I've seen a freedom that comes, freedom that comes from kind of being released from the weight of silence, the weight and the burden of opening up the closet doors and stuffing all of this the the um, this hurt and these hard memories and and trying to close that door you know it's like I call it the closet of forgetting and denial and it requires so much energy to keep that door closed and keep things from spilling out and once that door is opened and once you start taking things out one by one and looking at them ah oh, it is just this enormous weight is lifted from our lives. And so it has been for me and many, many people um, whom I've seen open that door to, to write into, into that closet, to let light back to the light and dark, to let light um, into that dark closet. And so that's, that's for me personally. And um, then the, the fruit that I've seen, I, it's so much, it is so humbling. Um, when my book on forgiveness, forgiving our fathers and mothers, went out into the world, um, almost from the day that it was released, I started getting emails um, and calls from people all over the world saying, you, you walked me back into a relationship with my father, with my mother, with my sister, these though your journey helped heal my family and um the book is now in eight or nine languages in chinese and french and polish and russian and ukrainian and and i get notes from people all around the world um so sometimes when the cost feels high to me personally you know i hear on the other side i hear god saying no look those, your, your words and your story are, are going out and bringing healing to many. And um, that's just, you know, it's so much more than I ever would have guessed um, that, has come, that has come from me trying to be obedient to what I think God has called me to write and do and be. So if I can ask, um, what are you... You're you're sort of in the in the. What do I, how do I want to put this? The a, no aftermath is a bad word. I don't want to say it that way. <laughs> you're, in the, you're in the post writing phase. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is it that you that you're working on now? And what are the ideas that are the stories that are really bringing life to you right now? Yeah, honestly, Casey, I have, I've been under book deadline for probably for at least the last 10 years of my life. And so I am releasing myself from having a a book deadline over, over my head. I am just as this book goes out into the world, I really want to focus. I, I really want my words and my thinking to be about that, about helping other people birth their stories. Um, so I'm, I'm just excited about having that focus. I do have another book kind of lined up that I've been thinking about for about four or five years now, but I don't want to talk about it. I'm just going to let it kind of hover in the hover in the background. I, um, 
I'm so excited about this book and about the stories that are going to be launched into people's own lives and, and in the world because of it. So I'm just letting myself just enjoy that. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you for taking time to talk about this and for giving the book to there. I know there are people who are listening who are not writers per se, but I, I really feel like there is, there is some real joy for them if they would engage in the practices that, uh, in the journey that you describe in the book and would just bring that into their own life, whether that's a, a short journal or whether it's just them taking one story and, and walking through it, I really feel like you've given a gift to people to be able to do that. So thank you for, thank you for writing. Thank you for living in Alaska and giving your soul to the world. <laughs> we, we all really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank, thank you for listening. I, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really humbling. And I, you know, I am nobody, but, but thank you. Um, thank you for reading my words. And I, yeah, I'm excited to see what, uh, what will happen as they go out. Leslie Leland Fields is the multi-award-winning author and editor of 12 books. Her recent that we talked about today is Your Story Matters, Finding, Writing, and Living the Truth of Your Life, which also includes an eight-part Right Now Media DVD series filmed with uh, fellow author Ann Voskamp. Her other books include Crossing the Waters, Following Jesus Through the Storms, The Fish, The Doubt, and the Seas, which won Christianity Today's 2017 Book Award in Christian Living. Her other books include Surviving the Island of Grace, The Spirit of Food, 34 Writers on Feasting and Fasting Towards God, which is one of my all-time favorites, and Forgiving Our Fathers and Mothers. She's won multiple awards. She's written for multiple different uh, magazines and journals, such as Christianity Today, Books and Culture, The Atlantic. Uh, She's done quite a few things, and she and her husband live in Alaska, and has taught, she's taught literature and creative writing at the University of Alaska for 15 years. Well, the reason I say that is because I hope you could tell that she lives what she's talking about. This isn't just a course or a plan that she teaches. She lives a life of writing and communication and creativity. And so I wonder for you, what, what was stirred in you as you listened to what she had to say? What kinds of things stirred in you? Is there a story that's been in you for some time that you are hesitant to tell, or you don't quite know where to begin. And I hope what you heard from Leslie was simply this, start somewhere, start somewhere. Her book is a great place to start. You can find that, a link to that on the website in the show notes. Uh, Also, you can find a link to where her website where you can find out more about Leslie. Uh, So if you're listening to this on iTunes, as always, rate and review, that would be fantastic. Listening on Spotify, thank you so much for that. Uh, If you're listening on any other platform, uh, I appreciate that as well. Streaming on my website, that's fantastic. So uh, I pray that you've been prompted to dig into your own stories and see if there's something there that God may want you to give as a gift to the world. Until next time.
Be well, live wisely, peace.